0: Topping Talks! 105 hours a week, can't be beat! Welcome to Topping Talks. Topping Talks is a Topping Tribune production, and today's episode is probably sponsored by Topping Technologies and ExpressVPN. Topping Talks is also on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. I have to say, quite handsome and brilliant. If you're a business in Texas, you can use a hand. You can reach us at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, are you part of the 3.6% of Americans who still care about their privacy? If you are, then perfect ExpressVPN can assist. Even though 96% of the stats are made up on the spot, ExpressVPN does give a 100% guarantee there via their 30-day back money guarantee. Now, without further ado, I'm proud to say today I'm interviewing Dave Smith, who is the co-founder of Engineering 11 and CTO of Connect. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Dave. Yeah, thanks, Happy. Glad to be here. It's a privilege. So I know kind of winding back the clock a couple of years, but how do you first get into
1: IT? Yeah, so um, yeah, I started out um, out of college trying to do a few little things on my own. Kind of a dumb kid thing and didn't work out very well. So I got a job at Bell & Howell. Um, At the time, Bell & Howell owned a company called UMI, Mm -hmm. University Microfilms. Um, University Microfilms was uh, started up by the guy who invented microfilm. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, he invented microfilm for the purpose of sneaking secrets out of Germany in World War II. Yeah. It was a really fascinating kind of start to a company. Um, really fascinating guy and really fascinating company. Mm-hmm. So he, he actually, um, you know, wha- I think he was in Germany and he was helping sneak little, you know, pictures of documents out of the country to the US uh, on really small film so they could hide it very easily.
0: Well, pe- people don't realize that big of a breakthrough. I mean, when they say microfilm, it literally is taking like a newspaper and condensing it down to the head of a needle in terms of the size delta was shrinking it down. It's yeah. amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's really pretty cool. Um, so, so he, um, uh, he, after the war, he started this company called UMI University Microfilms Inc. out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, you know, ended up basically supplying microfilm and the machines to every library in the U.S., probably around the world, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, so that was, you know, a great product and it lasted for a very long time. Right. Um, you know, so when I started, uh, UMI, at Howell in, uh, Early 90s, uh, you know, they're starting to digitize it. Mm-hmm. So the um, the first product that they had was a CD ROM based product. Oh, really? You know, so they, yeah, so they um, produced, what they did was they, they invented machines that would um, read the microfilm and, gener- you know, digitize it and then stamp it onto a CD ROM. So would it still be the small
0: form factor on the CD ROM and then when you put it in a computer, it would explode the image? Making it a lot bigger, or how, how did that work, uh, kind of tech-wise?
1: Yeah, so um, so once once all of the the images basically were stored on the c rom um, it, it, was, it was actually a combination of images and uh, text. Mm-hmm. So when when they digitized it, they took you know all of the pictures and then um, got OCR'd all of the text into what's our OCR, just in layman's terms? Oh, uh, optical character recognition. Oh, cool. Okay, sorry. Yeah, uh, they OCR'd all of the, you know, the text from newspapers and periodicals and magazines and everything they have on, um, on the microfilm, uh, and that, that could go into, like, a full-text search engine kind of thing or a database. So, so then the end result was when you put one of these CD-ROMs into your computer, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, through our software that could read them, you could see all of the, you know, all of the content on your screen, uh, and then you could search for things using keywords, you know, standard full text search, kind of like yeah. with, you know, Google is the, the most recognized full text search engine on the planet. Um, this was before Google, before Yahoo. Uh, uh, so that's revolutionary. <laughs> it, w- it was cool. We, um, you know, we ended up um, evolving that over time. Um, so the CD ROM product turned into. CD-ROM in jukeboxes, um, and I don't know if you remember oh, jukeboxes. Yeah. Yeah. I did one, yeah. Yeah, so um, we had, they seem so ridiculous nowadays to think about it, but they were really large jukeboxes with a big carousel, and okay. it would hold, I think, 240 CD-ROMs.
0: 240?
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so it had a big carousel in the middle, and it had four actual CD-ROM drives mounted, and the software would make it spin to a particular CD, and there's a little arm that would push the CD out into the drive. Like a jukebox. Uh, yeah, it was exactly, it was a jukebox for CD-ROM, um, and that that was, um, you know, a client-server product. So that was obviously a little bit ahead of the internet. Uh, so is
0: that, like, for their backups, or was that for active data, or?
1: No, so, uh, you know, if you think about a library situation, and, and libraries were the largest customer for UMI, for microfilm, and for CD-ROM, Um but th- there were other industries, but the large percentage was libraries. So if you go to the library and you sit at a computer yeah. and you want to search periodicals or you want to search dissertations or newspapers or whatever, um, you know, instead of walking over to the rack of CDs and finding one you think might be interesting, mm-hmm. you could just search. And in, you know, it would the signals would go over the Internet, or not the Internet, the just the network mm-hmm. to the back-end server, and the server would drive the jukebox and find the right CDs for you. That's ingenious.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. It sounds light years faster than I'm guessing before. Was it similar to a traditional book where you got to go to the, what do you call the things where it has all the little mini cards in it? Yeah. What's he called? It? The card just, catalog. Thank you. Yes. The card catalog. I remember those old massive displays of the card catalogs or the nice wooden boxes. was basically like a shelf with a hundred or 200 of those little boxes. You pull it out and you have all the cards in there. You go in there and then you would find the book if you're lucky.
1: That's right. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> which I think nowadays kids might only really know that because of that infamous scene in Ghostbusters all those years ago where they cards all start flying out at the same time because the ghost is doing it. I think that's the only pop culture reference when it comes to index cards for fun trivia facts. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And so, then, sorry, go ahead.
1: Um, yeah, so then that evolved into an Internet product, you know, um, towards kind of my, the end of my time at, you know, Bill & Howell UMI. Mm-hmm. Um, so now all of that's available on the Internet, obviously. And Oh, yeah. You know, just online through the browser or whatever. So. Mm-hmm. And where do you go from there? Yeah, so towards the end of my time at at that company at UMI, um, I was approached to do uh, you know a side hustle project, mm-hmm. and I was you know really open to it. Thought it'd be really fun to do that. Um, so um, this guy came to me that wanted a uh, he wanted a Windows application that would produce provider directories uh, for print and web uh, from a mainframe school file. So, And before this product, and there might have been a few others out at the time, but this is um, one of the early products in this space where it it used to take an enormous amount of time to produce provider directories at health plans. And, And if people don't know what provider directories are, they were what your health plan would send to you in the form of a phone book so you would know... What doctors were in your network? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that this was before the internet, obviously.
0: Yeah, so. so a phone book for doctors, basically, so you <laughs> didn't know exactly, you know, where to go.
1: That's right. That's pretty cool. That's right. Yeah. So we we developed that, um, got it out there, and it, and it sold. You know, made some number of deals, and um, you know that was kind of rolling. And the same guy had a different idea. He he, he had an idea that he wanted to web enable, and th- this is in the early mid-90s, mid, mid 90s, um, coming up, yeah, like 94, 95, s- somewhere in there. Um, and he wanted to build a platform that would web-enable a claim system. So the claim systems that, again, all the health plans use. Um, they use it's their full back end. It's how they process all the claims and deal with all their members and all that kind of stuff that health plans have to do. And uh, he wanted to build uh, a layer for it that would um, – Web-enabled transactions on the back-end system. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, That's ingenious. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was actually it was a really good idea, yeah. and it ended up being decently successful. Um, and it was at a time when, you know, that was a wide-open market, mm-hmm. too, because a lot of people at that time didn't have the skill set to develop web technologies mm-hmm. um, or even really understand how it worked. You know, a, a lot of people at that time were still either client-server or mainframe or midframe or you know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, it, it ended up being a pretty pretty neat product, pretty valuable product. So um, so anyway, so he, he he ended up getting funding for that, mm-hmm. and he and I you know moved to Dallas, Texas, and started this company called HealthWeb. So, what was it like moving to Texas? Or was your, what was your favorite part making that big, big trip down? Oh, um, the trip wasn't fun. I drove with all the stuff in my car. I didn't oh, have a lot at the time, but uh, the drive wasn't great. But it, you know, I got here, and uh, you know, the best part of moving to Texas was the weather for me. Oh yeah, so <laughs> growing up in Michigan, it, it was you know cold. It's gray a lot of the year, oh, yeah. and I was kind of done with that at that point in my life anyway. The weather, so. Um, I just loved the weather when I got here. I oh, remember yeah. calling home to everybody I could think of on my first uh, New Year's Day when I was sitting outside in flip flops <laughs> and asking what they were doing. Yeah, so I said no, I'm just sitting, hanging out with flip flops, just chilling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, no, I I really liked uh, Texas a lot, and uh, you know I've been really happy here. It was a great move, but uh, but yeah, it was it was a pretty fun time. Great place to start a business, for sure. Oh yeah, and tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so um, we got here, and uh, it was really just he, he and I in a very small room, probably the size of this room. Oh, really? And he's on one side at a desk making phone calls and trying to sell things we don't have yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on the other side trying to build this thing. Yeah. So um, we, got, you know, we got a nice, a nice kind of MVP out, a nice version of it out that worked, and we were able to get that going at uh, a kind of a friendly health plan, people we do there. And rounded it out a little bit. And, you know, we ended up obviously hiring people and all this kind of stuff. But, yeah, so we, um, you know, we, we had a really, really fast growth cycle there at HealthWeb where over the course of a couple of years we ended up with, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15, I think, cu- paying customers. You know, That's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, these are large health plans or decently oh yeah. sized health plans that uh, it was a decently expensive product. I, I can't remember what it costs now, but – um, we were doing okay, you know. Yeah. We we had started the business, we got it off the ground, we had customers, we had good software, and uh, you know we were we were running. Yeah. And then a company called Trizetto bought us. So Trizetto Healthcare Products, I think, is the official name, uh, was relatively small at that time. Uh, a really brilliant guy named Jeff Margolis started it. He's the CEO. Um, and I, you know, from my recollection, there might have been. 40 or 50 employees at Trizetto at the time, possibly something something in that neighborhood. They did some consulting things. They had a few uh, products, and actually one of the one of the co-founders, who's really kind of a silent partner, um, was the guy who invented. A, I don't know if he invented it, but he he was the guy who brought up the ATM network. Which oh, really? Another little fascinating yeah. piece of the story there. But um, but it, but anyway, so Trizetto bought us, uh, and you know it's it, it was a really really fun ride and this was going to this is like 99 when oh, yeah. the internet is just boom. starting to boom yeah. okay, and it's just rolling uh we ended up going ipo nice and um you know we were, we were a legit company legit revenue you know really good growth cycle great leadership all that kind of stuff and you know but along with everybody else our market cap just skyrocketed mm-hmm. you know probably unreasonably so yeah uh, and so um, prior to the crash, the subsequent crash to the boom, um, you know, Trizetto was able to buy a number of, of companies uh, through acquisition, mm-hmm. use that capital, and um, really become a powerhouse in, you know, the healthcare field. So That's awesome. Yeah. So o- over the course of, I was there for 10 years, you know, and, and I learned a ton. You know, I, I was able to, um, you know, do what I love at the beginning and start a company build build a software product from scratch. Uh we ended up when when I left TriZeno 10 years later. Um you know I think we're like a, doing 300 million in revenue, you know, publicly traded company. That's fantastic. Yeah, lots of employees, so yeah. you know, I think we had 1500 2000 employees across oh wow, the, across the US in different offices. So
0: That's huge. Yeah. That's a, that's, a congr- that's a congrats. That's an amazing accomplishment. That's oh, awesome. thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: I, you know, I did contribute and participate. And I had a blast. I learned a lot. It was, you know, a great team, and it was really an amazing company. A lot of people that grew up with Trizetto at that time ended up being, um, you know, starting their own companies or having a lot of success. So it was this weird time in history and, you know, great leadership, great culture, and a lot of people there ended up being pretty successful down the road, um, which is really pretty interesting. What was the biggest
0: takeaway, or what was the most profound thing you learned, or most helpful thing you learned throughout the experience?
1: Um, you know, there, there's a lot that I learned. I, I think when when you're young and um, you know you think you can conquer the world and you think everything's easy, uh, yeah. you know, uh, you know, it's really a level of just youthful ignorance, uh, and it's a good thing to have because oh, yeah. you know you want to take risks and do things. Um, when I walked away, I realized how how, how what it takes mm-hmm. to build a company. You know what how much work it takes, how much capital it takes, how many people it takes, how much coordination, you know, how much teamwork, Mm -hmm. you know, all the things, all the the things that have to go in the recipe to make a company great, Mm -hmm. uh, was probably my biggest, most profound takeaway. All Those are important skills. Do you,
0: I I know you utilize them a couple more times. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. (laughs) And then where do do you go from there?
1: Yeah. So, um, towards the end of my time at Trezetto, I, you know, I'm a hockey player. I, um, I played hockey my entire life. I still play. Awesome. At least I try to play. What, what position? Uh, well, I, I was as a kid. Up? I was a centerman. Yeah. So I played center. Uh, nowadays, I will play wherever's needed. Yeah. You know, any type of forward. I will play any position other than goalie. Yeah. So
0: anyway. That's
1: awesome. Where do you play at? Are you part of? Are you part of a couple of leagues or? Yeah. So, um, you know, the Dallas Stars run operate. Uh, I don't know eight ranks or so around the metroplex. So. It, there's rinks in Farmer's Branch, Valley Ranch, McKinney, uh, you know, spotted across town, Richardson, Plano, um, Uless. So there, there's one in Mansfield now. So, yeah, there's a number of rinks. I usually play either at Farmer's Branch. I played a lot of my time there Valley Ranch um, in the early days and uh, play at McKinney on Sundays now. So it's kind of all over the, the Metroplex. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been on a
0: hockey ice rink in quite as many years, but I still finally remember going skating, and going up.
1: yeah yeah it's a good sport it's a lot of fun oh yeah yeah so any anyways um so yeah so the hockey came up because i was kind of telling you about my transition from trizetto to Vivere. yeah um you know you know towards the end of my time at trizetto uh my my job became a lot of travel i was going office to office to office around the country Um, and while it was great and rewarding and everything else my, I had young kids at the time, so yeah. my kids were in elementary school and i didn't I, I, di- I wanted to stop traveling yeah. you know, as much uh, and so at the same time, a guy on my hockey team named Michael Nadu had started a company called Elite Wellness mm-hmm. and his his idea was that you know he 's really passionate about health and wellness and all that kind of stuff and he he started this company because he wanted to help people and he 's yeah. passionate about it so started up and he started out like on the personal wellness side quick kind of quickly realized oh i need to get into corporate wellness so he we kind of transitioned over there and he had he had been able to sign up you know uh, i'm going to say 10 10-ish uh customers locally and he started to do pretty well and he started talking to me about needing technology mm-hmm. so and we're you know it was really friend to friend talking yeah um you know, I'd give you advice, I'll advise you, I'll do whatever, and, and, you know, through whatever, you know, number of months, it turned into, you know, come work for me. And awesome. Yeah. So, and, you know, just at that time, I was ready for a change anyway, and this sounded really exciting. So, uh, you know, I left TriZotO and came to be the CTO at, uh, well, let me think about this. So it was Elite Wellness first when I moved over there. Shortly after that, we renamed into to Oh,
0: Cool. And then what was the company?
1: Or what do they do, kind of in layman's terms? Uh, so Vivere provides workplace wellness uh, solutions mm-hmm. um, through technology, mostly. So um, things like, <laughs> excuse me, I have to. What are <coughs> um, So if you know if th- things that at work, if you have health insurance, uh, a lot of companies have uh, an accompanying wellness program where, if if you if if you have a chronic condition or if you want to learn how to lose weight or you want to generally get better, um, make better lifestyle uh, decisions and learn how to do those things, that's usually what the wellness programs do. Typically, there's um, a points program set up with it where if you earn a certain amount of points in the wellness program, you get certain um, rewards from that. And a lot of times it's um, uh, less expensive, Contributions or deductibles, Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what it does. Um, We had like challenges. Uh, We had uh, chronic condition programs. We had um, you know uh, all kinds of things around your health and wellness, basically. So nutrition, things, yeah. Gotta make sure you get.
0: That's one of the hardest things is how do you gain the attention of someone where you want to help them do a security compliance training or a health initiative. I mean, giving them incentives with those points helps out a lot. I mean, I remember when I used to work at HPE, we had a similar software program or software suite. We would sign in, tell them our steps for the day, and it would help us get lower premiums and all that kind of good stuff. So definitely it it works. just got to keep them interactive and inter- interesting.
1: Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, we had all the fitness trackers and all that stuff wired into the platform. So, Yeah.
0: It's, it's a brilliant idea, too, and it gets us raced down lower because it keeps people healthier. Yeah.
1: We win. You know win. I always kind of said it's it's the best thing going until they come up with magic drops, you know, or oh something yeah. like that. <laughs> where you can, you know, everybody can be healthy without doing anything. Oh, yeah, right? You
0: know. <laughs> I mean, science is getting close to magic. We're not there yet. Not yet. Maybe. Someday. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> soon. Take one pill, and you look like Arnold Schwarzenegger and just jacked, and you're ready to go. <laughs> That's right. That's the dream. Right? Yeah. <laughs> And then what was your favorite part of working at, th- at
1: that company? Uh, so Bavaria was just a blast. You know, it was really a, a microcosm of a really cool company, a really cool culture. Um, we, there we grew really fast as well. Uh, we had, uh, I don't remember how many years, but like four years of doubling, 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 doubling. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that, that was another right. thing where I was kind of fortunate to hit hit a timing cycle where yeah. it, it wasn't a well-known thing. And by the time... You know, I was at the end, towards the end of it, everybody knew about it, everybody had one. So, so part of it's timing, but part of it's just, you know, Michael's entrepreneurial spirit. And, you know, it was just, it was a fun company to work for. And and again, we went from very, very small, uh, very few people, uh, pretty unsophisticated company to a pretty mature company. You know, I think we're somewhere around 50 million a year. Oh, wow. um, You know, um, when Virgin Pulse bought us something in that range, 50, 60 million. That's awesome. And then what was it like working through that transition when uh, Virgin bought you guys out or acquired you? Yeah, it was. That was. Uh, you know, I enjoyed the whole ride, to be honest with you. That that. You know, it, there are stress points when you're getting bought, and everybody wonders if they're going to have a job and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a, a lot of people didn't have a job, and it's unfortunate. Um, but it is what it is. And you know, when companies get bought, that those things happen. Um, but you know, I, I was honestly uh, really surprised by how uh, welcoming Virgin Pulse was. I was really surprised at the culture they had. Uh, and just, the, you know, the, that company, too, had a great culture. You know, I, I think a really, really good leadership team at that time. And, uh, you know, it was, for me, it, it ended up being pretty fun. Yeah. So That's awesome.
0: And then was it like you – was the next company when you started Engineering 11? Or where do you go from there?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so – Towards the end of my time at really Virgin Pulse, so Virgin Pulse bought Vivere, uh, and I think I was in a two-year period of time, that, you know, a transitionary period of time at Virgin yep. Pulse where, um, you know, I, I was a VP on a global engineering team and building out some teams and built, you know, really making taking the things out of the Vivere system that uh, that they wanted on the Virgin Pulse side. So it, it, and it, it, and it was fun, um, you know, it, it probably wasn't. You know, my long term plan and probably wasn't their long term plan to have me there anyway. So, um, you know, coincidentally, um, I bumped into Michael again, Michael Nadu. Oh, really? Really in the hallway. And it was a, it was a kind of a like, you know, we were both like, hey. oh, hey, <laughs> what's up? Uh, and we just started a conversation, you know, not with, with no intentions. We just started talking. What are you doing? What are you doing? And you know, it turned it turned out he had some ideas and I had some ideas that I've kind of been brewing on. And, you know, um I kind of describe it like it was like Reese's peanut butter where peanut butter and chocolate came together. Yep. And you know, it just worked out. So Michael and I were talking and forming some ideas. You know, me knowing my time at Virgin Pulse would be coming to an end. Uh he wanted to get back into software, um, doing software things, and he had he he had a really good idea to build a hiring platform, kind of a whole different twist on hiring, which mm-hmm. we've done. Um, but, you know, back then, it was just an idea. So we, we talked, and we ended up forming uh, Engineering 11, uh, you know, I think um, yeah, two years ago, two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not great with remembering the dates. of no worries. So, yeah, so I, you know, my transition from Virgin Pulse to that was, uh, again, another s- smooth transition. I was very fortunate to kind of jump right into there. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, we started Engineering 11, and, you know, shortly after that, very shortly after that, we started working on this product called Connect. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then what does Engineering 11 do, um, just in layman's terms, folks? So Engineering 11's a, a company that builds large-scale SaaS platforms mm-hmm. for the most part. We, we do, um, we're working on a data integration um, product also, mm-hmm. but generally, you know, our main bread and butter is building large-scale SaaS platforms. There we have uh, uh, four platforms right now. Connect is our big one. Mm-hmm. That's the big hiring platform. By the way, it's called C-N-E-C-T, and it's at connected.com, so C-N-E-C-T-E-D.com if anyone wants to go see it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Connect is um, a hiring platform, but also uh, the foundations for a new private, unsearchable business network.
0: Yeah. It's fascinating. I was looking at it a couple of days ago. It's it's. It's a competitor to LinkedIn, but it's a very unique competitive offering.
1: And it's got great user interface as well. The graphical design is amazing. Thanks. Yeah, we, uh, we're really fortunate to have, you know, this guy named Austin. who's You know, I call him our technical artist. He's, he's pretty amazing. Uh, so we, we have beautiful UX, which is great. Uh, but, yeah, it's, you know, we don't look at it as a competitor to LinkedIn, really. We look at it as it's an additional place, yep. you know. And we have this picture on our website, and I always call it the missing tooth. Picture where, you know, in the in the world of social, there's Facebook and Snapchat and LinkedIn and on and on. Mm. Um, LinkedIn is really the only business network out there. Yeah, and LinkedIn is amazing. Like it's, it serves its purpose extremely well. We're not looking to take down LinkedIn or compete with them. Yeah. Uh, the the things that LinkedIn doesn't have a lot of are privacy, and yeah. um, so we 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 felt like. Um, two, really two things. There's the privacy part and, and then there's the connections part where on LinkedIn, I have thousands of connections and truly I might know 500 of them. Yeah. You know, and then possibly I really want to stay tightly connected with 100 of them. You know, And, and that's kind of just one of the things. It's, it's what LinkedIn is and it's great. Um, yeah. we're t- what we're trying to do is add a supplemental network where it's private, it's unsearchable, you know, we, we don't want the, the ads. We don't want the humble brags. We don't want the posturing. We want, you know, kind of a place to put your career. Yeah. So, and build a true network. It's as you know. as a very, it's like, that was one of the most bizarre concepts when
0: I first tried to, when I was first using your, your solution. And it was just so weird to think, like, I can't just search my friend's name and see his whole profile and all, everything about him. It's a very unique, really interesting idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's you know, it, and again, that that part of it kind of evolved. And it started out as a hiring platform, and and I don't want to you know take anything away from that because it really is the best place to tell your story. You know, get rid of your resume. We don't, you know, resumes are ridiculous nowadays. Oh yeah. You know, even <laughs> though everybody still uses one, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. You know <laughs> so. Um, and, and I think there's a stat I can't remember what it was in one of our ads that resumes were invented in like 1892 or you know yeah. something like that and they really haven't changed yeah except you know you, you don't write them on a tablet anymore you type yeah. them in but you, in, in any case you know resumes are certainly outdated I think we all can see that and agree to that get oh, yeah. act has this amazing way to you know you can upload your resume and it'll generate you a, a digital profile that's really cool yeah, and then we have a first impression video we call it where you can do a really short video and introduce yourself. Say tell your story a little bit. So yeah, and then you can use that to apply to jobs within Connect and uh, external to Connect. Yeah, so yeah. You can download it as a PDF. You can generate a shared link, and and you know all these things can be private as well. So mm-hmm. if you know I can generate a link for you or employer one, employer two, employer three, then I can take those links away if I want to. All so right. um, you know, it's kind of build around that whole concept that. You control your data, yeah you know and that's really something we're trying to support and get to that's
0: a unique value prop is definitely the opposite of LinkedIn I mean LinkedIn I know a lot of my um, you know a lot of IT directors I talk to a lot of IT leaders there are many of them are frustrated with the sheer volume of you know in email and in messages and requests from all the sales reps and you know then all the tactical guys you know all the recruiters are going after them so it seems like those two power groups of people just bombard everyone and it can be a little overwhelming if you're not on top of your LinkedIn inbox or you're not expecting it. And all of a sudden you got you know, 28,000 connections. you know, all That's these right. notifications.
1: Yeah. It's like, what is going on here? <laughs> That's right. It's noisy. Oh, and very. <laughs> you know, but it, it, it serves a great purpose, though, Absolutely. Yeah, that we're not going to even try to go to or compete with. And, you know, it, it is great. If you want to market your product, mm-hmm. what could be a better place than LinkedIn? True. So, e- even if, you know, you, you want to tell the world you're looking for a job, mm-hmm. it's, you know, you can do that very easily in LinkedIn. On our platform, you can't do that, uh, but you can passively look for a job mm-hmm. with nobody knowing. Yeah. you know, which a lot of people want to do. So Th- that's very true. Because I mean, you can. There's that option on LinkedIn where you can change your picture
0: um, frame or the frame of your picture, where you can say like, "We're hiring." So you know, reach out to that person if you want a position at that company. And then you also have the ones says like open to work. Then all the recruiters and everyone knows, like, "Hey, you know, they're trying to find a role. Ret- send them a message or you know, try to connect with them and see if maybe." The two areas be together
1: yep yep exactly
0: yeah and that's that's really cool and then what do you think is going to be or what's was what the biggest challenge thus far building this out or building connect yeah
1: um yeah it's a big project like it, it really is a big project we're, we're um you know a startup company we, d- we don't have unlimited resources so right. it's been it's been uh it's actually been a lot of fun but it's also been challenging because Know, we're we're trying to do some pretty big big things, and yep. we have a relatively small team. You know, not even close to LinkedIn or anything oh yeah. like that, or Indeed <laughs> or whatever. So, uh, you know, it's been a challenge um, that uh, y- you know to get get the features we want, get the robustness, get the depth we need, in a product of the scale you know with the team size that we have. So, wh- one of the ways we do that is you know, Engineering Eleven. <coughs> Is really a different kind of model than most companies you've probably ever heard of. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me, I was getting over a cold. I um, So, what, you know, Engineering 11 has what we call a closed open source model. Mm-hmm. So companies that are our partners, so Connect's a partner of Engineering 11. We have three other platforms. They're also partners. You know, we have, we're talking to a couple other um, uh, prospects, so to speak, in this world, and (coughs) all of our partner companies get to participate in this closed open source model. Um, And it works just like open source, except that it's not open, it's only open to the companies that work with engineering 11. That's pretty cool. And we have a a wealth of things that (coughs) enable rapid platform development.
0: That's key. When you have an idea, you just want to be able to run with it as fast as possible. You need some technical resources that are going to help you get from point A to point B because a lot of the time when it comes to these business ideas, it's, you know, who's first to market? Who can get the most market share? I mean, just look at Uber and Lyft. I mean, Uber just had such a big lead on Lyft. I don't think Lyft, a lot of people are skeptical or pessimistic if they'll be able to catch up to get all those customers. But it's, I mean, being first pays a little off.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure, for sure. And there's a lot of parts to every single platform that, you know, a lot of people don't realize, I guess, that, you know, I know a lot of technical architects do, but, um, you know, there's a lot of commodity to a platform. Oh, yeah. You know, everybody needs to auth. Everybody needs to register. Everybody needs user. Everybody needs messaging. Everybody needs notifications, you know, on and on. There's all these things. Um, So we built a lot of packaged SDKs in this closed open source world that all these companies can contribute to and benefit from, and and it's really it's really working out almost better than we thought it would. It's it's really fun to see how um, company A can um, produce something that they need, and then company B can benefit from that, and then company B does something and company A benefits from that. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's 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 really cool. It's, br- uh, it's a brilliant idea. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes that much makes the investment that much more
0: worthwhile because you're getting that much more resources and you're kind of kind of all teaming up together. That's right. Yeah, that is really. What's the most unique um, challenge that has come your way or most unique project perhaps at Engineering 11?
1: Um, the most unique project. So we've had, you know, we've had a lot of challenges and I will say it's been really fun. Um, it, it, and when I say challenges, we, we, we have a really s- smart team. So I've been able to cultivate um, people over time. You know, I've been through a lot of startup stuff and I've got to know a lot of people. So at engineering level, we tried to pick, really handpick the right people to start this up. We use you know a principal model where, um, you know, we don't have a lot of hierarchy there. We don't have VPs and director. You know, we have a VP, but um, there's no hierarchy. So yeah. we all just work as a big team, and like we it. don't have middle management. You know, but yep. we do have principals. So we have principal product manager, principal software engineer, principal um, you know UX, and these. Know, down the line of disciplines, yeah, and these principals are all highly skilled, highly talented people that are unbelievably good at their craft. Mm-hmm. So uh, we leverage them to to uh, drive the discipline of a lane within product development, mm-hmm. and it's worked out really well. Uh, you know, so we the only way we can do what we do is to work with a high level of discipline. Mm-hmm. So consistency is really, really important in our world because um, if we're going to do all of these things, you can't, go and you can't learn something every day when you're trying to add a new feature or whatever else. And, yeah. and by learn something, I mean you get into the code or you get into the JIRA board or you get into wherever and you have to learn it. Um, so yeah. our, our, our model is a highly consistent model where you really don't have to. Mm-hmm. We use a highly consistent set of design patterns. We compose our software the same way. You know, everything is extremely consistent. And it doesn't mean we don't innovate. It doesn't mean we don't have introduce new design patterns yeah. and new ways of doing things. Yeah. But it just means that we do it in a highly disciplined way, mm-hmm. and that everybody understands. Hey, here's a new way to do X, Y, or Z. We're introducing it here. Uh, you don't have to use it. You don't have to go retrofit everything. You know you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a new way of doing X, Y, or, or Z and We want to use this going forward, but everybody knows, everybody understands why and how, and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's one of the ways being able to scale up so quick and build so you know four platforms, get them into production in two and a half years. Oh wow, two and a half years and get all four up? Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah,
0: that's, that's definitely something you can only do by having a very lean kind of a flat team because a lot of the bigger companies, the things that slow down every process from getting a purchase order to getting something deployed. It's usually those twelve to fifteen layers of bureaucracy and sign offs and getting extra signatures and having everyone put their stamp of approval on it. And I always question what value that brings or if that's just about ego stroking, but whatever the purpose or whatever the whatever reason they do it, it slows down the process. So it's I mean, there's I that is so impressive. Four
1: app four apps in one year or two years. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been quite a run, and it's just you know it it's it proves out the model that we set out to yeah. f- to develop, and it's it's really pretty cool, pretty exciting.
0: Is, is the goal to eventually do another IPO for Engineering Eleven
1: or yeah? There's can, with Engineering Eleven, you know, there's there's really no goal, and all, all these products that we work on are their own companies. So yeah. Engineering Eleven itself is you know this small privately owned thing. It's intellectual property kind of company, um, and you know we don't we're not Every single uh, product we build has its own either LLC or, or Inc. Good uh, idea. that it, that it, you know, and if there's a licensing agreement between Engineering 11 and these these companies where you know it's it's a full full-blown license where you know they they can contribute mm-hmm. with all the closed open source things. They can submit PRs. They can you know drive direction. It, it's, mm-hmm. You know they can get a copy of it if they want. Yeah. and they want to go their own way. Great. You know, if Connect takes off and needs to go in its own direction, great. You know, here you go. Yeah. Here's a copy. Have fun. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So. So yeah, it's been it's been quite a bit of fun, and uh, you know, it's I'm pretty excited about it. It's a really it's a unique concept, and you know, I think over the last couple of years we've really proven it out. Absolutely. So, what was the biggest challenge
0: or of the four apps? Or what was the one that was kind of most interesting to work on or what was
1: something that really kind of was a curveball that you guys might have to overcome? Um, you know we you know one of our products it kind of came it didn't come out of the blue but it's something that none of us had ever thought of. We built uh, a product called uh, In Stock Depot and it's a marketplace for large-scale construction contractors. Really? For example yeah so they have you know no, you know I didn't know this at the time and none of us did that these large-scale contractors have big warehouses full of supplies that they don't need. It's so like all the materials for the buildings and such. That's right. So say they're working on a high rise and they ordered 300 doors mm-hmm. and they're the wrong color or yeah. you know, things like that, or they didn't fit quite right. Or, you know, the, the customer it, it, wanted yeah. to change the. You know what? We they really did. want glass doors. Customer did a change order. They just basically nulled and canceled
0: it. So now you got a whole warehouse of those doors. Exactly. And you have to pay to store them and who the heck knows when you're going to use them. So that, that's a brilliant idea. Is, is it kind of set up like a online marketplace, like an eBay, or is it um, more peer to peer? Like they sign in, they can see what other materials are on the market, then they they, they themselves can put it on. Or what's a, what's the kind of breakdown like for that?
1: Yeah. So the idea is that uh, anybody can go register and be a buyer mm-hmm. in in Stock Depot. You know, th- there probably won't be a lot of interest in most people because nobody wants uh, you know a hundred doors. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I love weird stuff like that uh, per,
0: per, personally <laughs> yeah. I, I love those liquidation sites and it is fascinating yeah
1: so um, so anybody can register and be a buyer if you you know once you register be a buyer, then you can apply to be a seller so uh, cool. there's you know if you if you're if you 're legit you know you can become a seller through this application process you have to set up um, set up some you know monetarial things you have to wait to approve your business and all these things but you know, once you're a seller, then you you know it's like Facebook Marketplace kind of oh yeah. thing where they can go just list items for sale, and they show up in the search, and you know um, people can say, "Hey, I need I need this um, you know box of three three thousand tiles, yeah. three thousand boxes of these tiles you have," uh, and they message back and forth and agree on a price you know there's a set price and people can just click buy it oh yeah like buy it now on ebay or something like that exactly so if they just if they you know all the purchasing happens in the platform so, all right, uh, so it's an
0: e-commerce as well yes i'll personally secure the transaction on there that's right that, so we, that's yeah. key that's that's one of the biggest concerns when it comes to online buying stuff whether it be i mean that's why a lot of people trust ebay is because they'll have those like i know they for they're famously they purchased paypal kind of facilitate all those transactions because you can trust it if if you get screwed over, you could file a claim, and then PayPal will cover you. That's kind of why you—that's why they earn their commission, basically. And I mean, for some websites, it's kind of like the Wild West. It's like, okay, you send a wire transfer or you know, check, and which I don't recommend to anyone, but it's just that—that that fear slows down business dramatically, and I'm sure it just destroys sales. Like, if you don't have that trust, no one's going to use it. So, the fact that you can have that all in-house and you can kind of facilitate that transaction between the multiple
1: parties—that's I mean invaluable. Yep, yep. So that's exactly what we do. So we take, you know, and Stock Depot, gets a little piece off the top. That's how it makes its money. And we distribute the funds where they're supposed to go, and that's kind of it. And then the the buyer and the seller have to work out the exchange of the product, whether it's shipping or pickup or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it happens to be. That's
0: awesome. Is that all over the U.S.? Are you guys uh, kind of focusing on a certain geography or just anywhere in
1: the world? It's, well, anywhere in the U.S. Um, cool. Yeah, and we're, uh, you know, we're just starting to launch it right now. So we have – you know, two two contractors that are spinning up right now. Oh, cool, yeah, and yeah. adding all their items. So, yeah, so yeah. is it ca- is it
0: as simple as you know, you go into the warehouse, take a couple pictures of the smartphone, throw them in the app, it send a request price, and
1: pretty much. Oh, you that's know, awesome. you, you yeah. go you go in there with an iPad probably, oh, and yeah. you take your picture and you type in, uh, you know, the brand, the type, the description, the quantity, the price. You know, you put your location on a map of, of approximate location. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- and y- you can add in other, you can add manufacturing number, part number, all these things if you want, um, and that, that all ends up in the full-text search, so if someone's looking for a very specific part number. Even easier. You know, they can just copy that there, and,
0: you know, if, we, if there's
1: one there, if it's in stock, they can buy it, so.
0: What's most un- the most unusual item you've had on the platform thus far?
1: <laughs> uh you know, in in the test environments, there's some really funny things. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember off the top of my head. Like, um, you know, somebody was selling a software engineer, for example. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> just, just people joking around, but um, you know, it's just it's just weird things. You know that you know I don't know things most people never think of. You yeah, know, just construction parts. You know, um, there's obviously things everybody knows, like doors and windows and things yeah. like that, but there's. You know, I don't know, a piece of metal. Yeah, Moldings, <laughs> screws. I mean. Yeah. A lot of those are a lot of those designs are
0: pretty granular in terms of I mean sometimes the end user has a very specific needs on, you know, they want this exact type of fastener to be used and if it's off by a little bit or maybe the buyer just made it a little bit, you know, instead of doing skew one 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 three, got one 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 four. And the difference is, you know, a you know, a penny size different engraving on it or something like that. It's the end user doesn't want it, but someone out there is gonna want that unique design. That's right, exactly. And they probably won't be able to get it very quickly nowadays either. No, that's, that's not a – I mean, brilliant timing to start this too because a lot of people are trying to find – they're looking more to find these materials, so they're not just going through the usual purchasing outlets. And as companies are trying to you know, get the best ROI and increase you know, the revenue, they're trying to, it's a great idea to clear out those warehouses because a lot, a lot of people may not realize you know, paying for space is expensive. Even if you own the warehouse, you're paying to heat it, cool it, secure it. And if you can use that for more pertinent materials or, you know, materials that will for sure be used for a project, that's much better use of capital as opposed to, you know, yeah. storing a product indefinitely and just hoping someday you'll use it kind of like IT guys save cables for, you know, 30 plus years. Cause you might need that one doohickey or that <laughs> one dongle. And I admit yeah. I've done it too. I've got yeah. the little the closet, the little drawer of all the IT cables that might never possibly need. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I've thrown out a box full of cables, you know, I don't know, once every five years and you're like, yeah. okay, I'm not going to need these. You have more
0: self-control than most. I mean, most people are like, ah, but I might need that one obscure cable from 1983. Or you know, if I <laughs> it, well, if I find it, I need it. It's like, well, I mean, usually the rule is if you haven't touched an item or used an item in a year, probably not going to need it in the future. That's kind of how I look at it. If I'm clearing out the uh, the rental home or trying to think if I should purge an item, it's like, if I haven't touched it, touched or utilized this item in a year, is it really worth you know hanging on to or storing it? It's like, eh, probably not. <laughs> Exactly. And, and then what's the other startup that, uh, of the big four or the other company, that engineering for, uh, sorry, engineering 11 has
1: developed. Yeah. So we have a compliance platform. Uh, it's really in the, you know, focused on the EGRC space. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, way to, um, keep your policies, standards, policy, uh, procedures, do your trainings, mm-hmm. automate the whole process, automate onboarding in that context. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool project, uh, you know, and I think th- there's things out there. You know, EGRC is a gigantic space. Oh, yeah. I think it's projected to double, triple, you know, in the next 10 years. I believe it. It's a pretty exciting space. Uh, you know, we're just a uh, ripple in the water at the moment, but, you know, we have a lot of hopes and plans for C2 to do some different things. Um, you know, I think th- there's, there's opportunity to do things different than what's out there today. Uh, and, you know, the reality is, most people don't read policies. It's kind of, they're kind of like terms of use where, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's
0: IT pages. will send
1: you this list of policies once a year and nobody reads them. They just click, okay, I read them. And then yeah. you stumble through the little test and hopefully you get them right. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity to make them more consumable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're experimenting with some really cool AI, uh, you know, with GPT-3 and some of the newer um, models out there that, uh, that are actually scary, amazing. Uh, oh yeah, but you know I think there's ways that you can summarize these things, you can make them more consumable. You know, you can deliver things in smaller pieces over time versus here's 12 policies that you're never going to read. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and, I, I, and there's this whole notion that we've been driving towards of asynchronous communication. And really if you think about connect our hiring platform, that's what we're driving with connect is that that's how we live and work and communicate today. Right, Everybody's sending text. everybody's on Snapchat, everybody's on whatever whatsapp. Yep. Um, that's how we you know at work, everyone's on teams, everyone's on slack. Yep. Um, that's just how we work and we communicate, and we expect to do that that way. yeah uh, if I need to ask you a question, I'm not going to pick up the phone and call you probably. Yeah. I'm yep. going to send you a message, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to expect a response back at some point in the future, yeah, right um so we built this entire framework around asynchronous communication at Engine 11, that is really, it's heavily modeled after Slack, Teams, and Discord. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a really pretty cool notion um, that, you know, it's one of the foundational elements of Connect, our hiring platform, but it's also going to be a foundational element for other things that we build. Mm-hmm. So we, we believe that um, that's, you know, a lot of business apps are going to be driven through those kind of, that, that kind of uh, mechanism of communicating and working. So... Uh, you know, in the context of compliance, you know, wh- why can't you break things up into small pieces, and why can't you learn over time, mm-hmm. and why can't you have consumable um, pieces of information that get fed to you, yeah. and actually learn it and actually understand it, versus you have a chore once a year, yeah. you know that really all it does is serve the purpose of protecting the company's ass, right? Yeah, Excuse exactly. Me, I don't know if that's... No, a no, it's completely... Okay, forward yeah, to use on here. Oh, cool, yeah. But, but that's, that's essentially what the that's compliance true. programs do is they say, yeah, everybody's read and accepted the policies, and if they don't break them, it's not our fault. Yeah. Right, so, that, you know, so there's a lot of places we could go with it.
0: It kind of reminds you of your startup or the other company Bavaria where, you know, you've got to try to think of how do we make this actually interactive and interesting to the end users so they actually do want to comprehend and, you know, yeah, all that data that you're trying to put out there. Yeah. And a lot of those compliances, it really, you know, tr- traditionally it is, you know, once a year you turn on the video, press mute, open up another tab, do something else. And at the end you take the quiz because more often than not, there's not like a timeout. It's not like you get, it, you have unlimited chances to get the quiz right. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so right. it's like, yeah. well, what's my time worth and how interesting are these trainings? They're never, ever interesting. I mean, exactly. So if you could, I mean, that's a huge business Value if you can make that interesting and just that much more effective, I mean, that's going to have a tremendous impact,
1: yeah, yeah, it'd be very cool,
0: yeah. And then, out of curiosity, what do you like to do outside the office?
1: You said you like to, are you in a couple of leagues with the hockey, or yeah, well, right now, um, I play in uh two leagues kind of, and then we do uh skate on Sundays, so I you know, I've been skating here since '97. Oh, wow, really, uh, yeah, that's when I moved here. Uh, There's a group of guys. You know, at that time, we were all young, and um, we all played a pretty competitive hockey league here in Dallas, and we kind of played against and with each other for 20 years, and now, um, you know, a, a lot of the guys are kind of done with the leagues, uh, you know, a lot of younger people are coming in the leagues, and, yeah. you know, um, you know, when you get to a certain age, you're not really interested in fighting, you know, yeah. <laughs> on a Tuesday night at 9.30 yeah. p.m., yeah. so um, so we have this skate on Sundays, and we do that once a week. It's a lot of fun. No refs, no you know scorekeepers, just yeah. basically um, really good pond hockey. We go up and down the ice, get great
0: exercise, and have beers afterwards. That sounds awesome. Do you, do you guys still do, like, the full paddings and everything like that? Or what kind of gear you guys throwing
1: on? Yeah, I mean, we wear full gear, except most of us don't wear shoulder pads. Uh, they're just not really needed in, yeah. in what we do. So, But, yeah, otherwise it's pretty full gear.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I might have to sign up one of these days, take that off my bucket list. Yeah, you should. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah. it's nice good
1: day. Yeah. Appreciate Glad it. to be here.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment. Top and Talks is also on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcast. Don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell en- your enemies. Heck, tell anyone. Just stay safe. Y'all have a great day. talks.